0: Um. So we are at the end of this series, which is um, Aaron has been doing, called Worship in the Church. And up until this point, we have been talking about very different, various different aspects of our worship and worship life in the church. And um, so today is kind of the culmination of all of that. And um, today I'm centering around the object of our worship, which we know um, is Jesus Christ. And um, and that everything that we've kind of discussed, yes, culminates, culminates in this. So, so our goals for equipping hour today is one, um, you'll see on your papers too if you have them in the back, is how Jesus Christ is the object of our motivation. Two, we're going to understand the elements of our, our Redeemer Bible Church's Christ-centered worship and what we do here, uh, and know how to engage in Christ-centered worship, and understand the pitfalls of man-centered worship, and then we're going to understand also how to cultivate a lifestyle of Christ-centered worship in our personal lives. Um, so maybe you've heard it said, everyone worships something, right? Uh, no matter what it is, you're, somebody is always worshiping something. Even John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. We're always finding new things and different things to worship, um, and everybody centers their lives around something, no matter how much they just try to say that they don't. Uh, for some, it could be a celebrity. You know, people follow these different people around, um, follow their lives on various different social media platforms. They um, do everything they possibly can to see what, what is, what's the next thing these people are doing. And they have no connection to these people, but they idolize them like they're some gods or like they're about to walk on water. Um, and then also, sports teams, right? Football just had their biggest annual worship gathering, uh, and baseball's getting ready to start also and they're gonna be filling up their stadiums with all of their worshipers. Um, Then also music artists, various different music groups. Um, I'm thinking about old time people when I look at old videos of like Elvis or something, and you see these people crying and like swooning over Elvis, just his mere presence, or like a handkerchief is thrown in the crowd and they freak out. Um, But those are all things that aren't new. People are always worshiping something. And if our recent times have taught us anything, um, people worship science too, right? Um, just as we have seen through the pandemic, everything that these particular scientists say is absolutely infallible, and we have to trust everything in our minds and never question anything that they put out there. Um, and yeah, nothing can go wrong with that, right? As long as we put our faith in those those people. Um, but I digress. The, the list goes on and on. And for me personally, I know when I was a kid, I idolized and worshiped professional skateboarders, right? This is like, if you don't know anything about skateboarding, it is a whole culture that you get infused into. I wanted to I wanted to look like them, I wanted to talk like them. I had to meet daily with other fellow worshipers, right? With other fellow skaters, so I, we can have fellowship together. I had to immerse myself more and more. And much more to my failure, I had to try to skateboard like them. Um, we even had a word for people who weren't like completely immersed in this culture and only like wore the clothes or talked the talk, and we called them posers. Right? They they posed. They acted like they were a true worshiper, but in actuality, they weren't. Um, and it was everything. It was the center of my life. Um, and and we, yeah, and without skateboarding, I feel like as a kid, I didn't have anything. That was my identity. And so that brings us to our first topic, which is Jesus Christ as the motivation or the object and motivation of our worship. So, as Christians, our ultimate aim and the primary focus, the central point of our worship is Christ. Why? Because he is worthy of praise, adoration, and reverence due to his divinity, right? His work on the cross, and now his ruling and reigning at the throne and the right hand of God. Um, and then we, we get this from Revelation 5. So, um, name one verse saying with a loud voice, Did it come up there? There we go. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb Be the blessing and honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. And they say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, right? Everything is proclaiming that Christ is on the throne. And on Sundays, we get a glimpse of that, and we get to do that, right? We get to proclaim that Christ is on the throne. And then Colossians 1, uh, 15 through 20 says, Who is the image of the invisible God? This is going to go into Jesus' character. The firstborn of all creation for in him all things were created both in heavens both in the heavens and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything for in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having th- through him to reconcile all things to sorry, sorry, having made peace through the blood of the cross there we go through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven so that alone is the reason why we worship him right because he is first he is preeminent he is above all other things, um, and there's so much wrapped up in his character that we can do no other thing but to worship him. We have no other response. Um, In Philippians 3.8, more than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. So he has to be first. Everything else is trash. Christ is the number one object of worship in our lives. 1 Peter 2, 4-5 through five says, Of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Christ is precious, and he should be treasured And he is worth our worship because of this. So that's that's why Jesus is the object of our worship. And so now we'll go into why why Jesus is the motivation. So motivation is defined as an inducement or a reason or a goal, um, like a driving force of why certain things happen uh, or why you do certain things. Some people, their motivation might be their family, their friends, their children, um, whatever it may be, um, we are all motivated by something. Um, and Jesus Christ, for us Christians, is the driving force behind our actions in our worship service here at Redeemer and what we do here. Um, J.I. Packard said, how can I turn from him in whom I live? What else is, what, sorry, what else is there that is worth cleaving to? What else can I do? Where else can I go to find such a savior and such a God? Worship is, the, and then Archie Spall also says, worship is the soul's response to God's infinite work, worth in the sight of his glory. So because of Christ's infinite worth and the glory and his glory, our only response is to worship him. He lived a perfect life, obeying all that God had commanded of us, something we certainly couldn't do, right? And he lived a sacrificial life by taking our place on the cross. Um, and so all this is our motivation. And, and then also when we have it in light of that he didn't just stay on the cross, right? He, he triumphantly rose again, defeating death in the grave. And something only God can do. And now he's at work in us, in, in the lives of believers, changing us and making us more and more like him. And our motivations definitely aren't perfect, right? We are, we are ups and downs. We are swayed by different things in the world, but it's always a fight to put Christ at the center of all that we do. And when we gather here on Sunday, we want to make that as clear as possible that he is the center to help you worship him. Um, in Revelation 5, as I mentioned above already, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So he is worthy, um, Hebrews 12. Uh, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So Christ has to be the motivation of our worship, right? Or we'll be motivated by other things. And we'll get into that a little bit as we go into the section about uh, man-centered worship and what that involves. Um, But he has to be the motivation or everything else will just drive, will fall flat and it won't last and we'll always be changing and trying other things to uh, find that satisfaction in our lives. So with that being said, what makes up the, the elements of our worship here at Redeemer? What do we do that puts Christ at the center? Um, so th- for this section, I wanted to explain yeah, what we do, specifically here in our context. Um, and obviously this might look different depending on whether we're doing a communion Sunday, and it also might look different on various uh, like-minded churches. They may choose to do things differently than we choose to do here. Um, but our, all of our goals, I believe, is to make Christ the center of all things. Um, so the first thing you'll see what we do, um, obviously before we, have wor- we have announcements and things like that, but then we also do a call to worship. So the first thing that we do is we call all believers to come and worship him. And that usually involves a text that is around a, a psalm or something that proclaims the majesty and greatness of God um, that kind of propels us to worship, worship him. So it, it makes sense, right? That's the first thing that we do when we come. We say, God, you're amazing, and we want to worship you. Um, and so after that comes generally a song of praise. That's kind of a, a response or a, um, a way that we praise God for what the scripture that we just heard. Uh, this song is a typically a song of praise uh, for his various works and attributes, um, and the big thing here is obviously we want to recognize God's character and who he is. Um, God is great. God is almighty. God is know, all-knowing, those kind of things. Um, and then after that, we kind of switch things in maybe the last uh, couple months or so where um, we've had more of like, we have a song than a pastoral prayer. And in this pastoral prayer, um Aaron usually prays for us or another church or for a gospel mission, um, but we want to also set a time to confess and acknowledge our sin and say that we're not worthy to worship God and and allow a time for um, us to recognize our character in light of God's character. Um, yeah, and he also may pray for other needs, um, but we want to be able to to practice praying, right, in front. And he wants, he needs to be a model for us to know how to pray, right? So we need to see that displayed and then um, we get better at praying in our own lives also. Um, So after that, then, and again, this is kind of a loose, like, format that we we work with, but we are, it's very thoughtful and we think about it. After that, we have a song of thanksgiving or confession, um, so after the pastoral prayer, we want to thank God for what he has done for us in Christ while we acknowledge um, our need for a Savior. So songs that are about confession and yeah, about Thanksgiving. Um, and then after that, we go to a public reading of Scripture. Uh, obviously, 2 Timothy 4.13 says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortion and teaching. Um, so we want to not neglect reading scripture. We want to read good, good portions of scripture. Um, and we want to model what that looks like in our uh, church life. And then after that, um, what I try to do generally is that, that portion of scripture that we read to set us up for the next song um, which goes into songs of assurance or pardon of sin. Um, so as God shines the light of his word in our hearts, we can't help but to repent and ask him to forgive us of our sin and to assure us that we are his and he is ours. Because um, we don't want to just sing about sin, 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 and not about the assurance of our salvation in Christ, right? We want to know that He has saved us and He loves us. Um, just like when we present the gospel to somebody on the streets, we don't just leave them with, "Okay, you're a sinner. All right, see you later." Right? We want to give them the whole the whole picture of the gospel because uh, there's there's forgiveness in Christ. And then we go to the the sermon. So that's an exposition of God's word, culminating in the finished work of Christ. Right? It's moving towards uh, Christ. Uh, death, resurrection, uh, death, burial, and resurrection. And then after the sermon, we have a response song. So all that we just heard, we want to respond um, to God's word with singing and thankfulness in our hearts. And then finally, there's a benediction, and this usually involves a verse or a prayer or something that calls us to go and live out what we just heard in His word. Um, and so putting it all together, it looks like this. This for um, some people don't like the word, but it's called a liturgy. Uh, many churches are different. Historically, Christianity has done it since the beginning. Um, I make I think like Isaiah 6 you can go to to also see liturgy there displayed. Um, but it is not uncommon. Every church has a liturgy. No matter how they think about it, they have a liturgy, whether it's right or wrong. So putting it all together. So one, the call to worship, a song of praise, pastoral prayer, song of confession, or thanksgiving, public reading of scripture, songs of assurance or pardon, a sermon, a response song, and a benediction. So we hope through all those different parts that we are taken through the gospel message, right? We're, we're seeing um, Christ and his character and God and his character. We're seeing our sinfulness of our sin. We're repenting of our sin and we're coming to Christ and we're asking him to forgive us of our sin and we are being assured we are believers, right? And then we take all that and we go into the world and do um, good works for him, right? Because we're called to good works. Um, so how do you, how do, you and I, how do we engage in this? When we come here, um, do we just sit or what, what do we actually do? So the next section is engaging in Christ-centered worship. And so we take all the elements of our worship and then what we do is... Um, we, we have to respond some way, right? And there's, these are the, the, the good ways that we should respond. Um, there's seven different ways that I thought of. I'm sure there's more, but these are some that just came to mind when thinking through this. So the first thing we do is we have adoration and reverence, right? These are emotions, right? These are things that we're responding to God's word emotionally. We respond with adoration and reverence. And we get that from Philippians 2, 9-11. Therefore God has highly exalted him to be bestowed on him a name which is above all other names so that every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the key there being that every knee will bow, right, in reverence and adoration that he is God. Revelation 5 is a, a one I keep going back to just because it's the culmination of him of Christ being worthy. And it's the same, same kind of thing that's just repeated. There's the adoration and the reverence um, of God for what he has done and his position with, Christ, with God at the right hand of the Father. So the next thing um, I, I had number two is uh, thanksgiving and gratitude. And so we get this from Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So giving thanks, right? We, we thank you, God, for what you have done um, and what you're continuing to do in our lives. And then First Thessalonians 5.18 and everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So struggling with God's will, what are you supposed to do? Give thanks, right? For all that he has done. And then another way we respond and one other way we engage is we confess. So when we are praying up here for God to forgive us of our sins, we would hope that you guys would be doing that also, that you would be asking God, forgive me, Lord, I have sinned um, and make me right again. Um, and we get that from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or sorry, he's faithful and righteous, that's ESV, I think, but uh, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then Romans 12, 1, Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as, sacrifice, as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So when you come here, we present our bodies as sacrifices. Let me say, God, use us in any way that you would, you would want to use us, All right? And then, so another another way we engage um, is uh, we have our service completely saturated uh, in Scripture. So Scripture saturated worship. So we have on our minds, Aaron and I both that. Uh, We have it on our minds all week how we can saturate the worship gathering with the word of God. Because that is the primary thing that we stand upon, right? That's the primary way we know how to live our lives. That is God speaking to us through his word. So when we come, we want you all to hear from God's word. And we ourselves want to do that also. Um, And so this has many different aspects of... um, it's not just reading the word, but we want to make sure also the songs are reflecting the word, right? Um, so this means our songs can't be about uh, things that are outside of God's word or things that are just mundane or repetitive, um, choruses that are vague. Everything we do is intentional, and we want to maximize the time that we have here and we don't want to do things that um, that just that are just yeah just mundane and and Continuing to repeat certain things like that. Second um, Timothy three sixteen through uh, through seventeen says, "All Scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work." So that it has to be the center of everything, so that we are equipped to live this life out, to do the things that God has commanded us to do. And another way that we engage together is through prayer and communion, right? Um, It's an act that you guys are doing, both and and us too. Um, Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we gather, we want to be praying. And then also, we partake in communion, um, recognizing God's work on the cross and um, doing what He commanded us to do. Right, First uh, Corinthians ten sixteen. It is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sh- we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ. Is it not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? So we do this together and in communion. Like that, that's one of the key elements that make up a church. Right, is that we are taking communion together. Um, and so that is, um, sorry, got lost here for a second. That is prayer and communion. And then the next thing that we do when we come and how we engage in Christ-centered worship is fellowship and unity, right? Uh, when we gather here, we are talking to one another, to, we're encouraging one another to live out what we have just heard, we're not just coming to hang out to talk about sports or, or whatever the latest fad may be, but we are talking about Christ and his word. And if you're not doing that, I encourage you to do that. Ask people after church, what did you think about the sermon? And um, how did you see Christ on display in the sermon or in the songs or, or whatever aspect of uh, the service? In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 it says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see the day drawing near? Yes, we should. We should, based on how things are going in the world. So we should all the more be telling each other to do good works, right? And then also when we gather something that can't happen when you're by yourself, we're united in Christ together with one goal, with one mission under the priest word. And Ephesians says, um, be diligent to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And this too is also talking about any disagreements or things among you, we should be taking to one another and resolving those. We shouldn't have anything amongst us that separates us from one another but we should be doing things that bring us together and unite us. Um, So these things are what we're actively doing. And then another way that we engage in Christ-centered worship is acts of service. So this, when we gather here, it doesn't just happen. Like things just don't appear. The lights just don't turn on. The computers don't just start working, right? People are doing things behind the scenes, um, laying down their lives in light of what Christ has done on the cross for us and serving their brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Galatians 5, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So when all of our various ministries People are serving and worshiping in that way. They're using the gifts that they have to help other brothers and sisters in Christ. And even to see other lives changed and converted and come to Christ, right? Through our kids' ministry or the preaching of the word or all those aspects, we want people to repent and turn from their sin and come to Christ. And so those are all the kind of different ways that when we gather that we we. Put Christ as the center in our worship service and how we engage in worship on Sunday but there are ways that we can craft just the way humans do things they tend to craft and do things in such a way that our worship starts to become self-centered or or man-centered rather than Christ-centered so there are some pitfalls here that I that I thought of that we can um, go through together um So churches today have become much like the consumeristic culture that we live in, right? Like McDonald's or something like that. The motivation is no longer Christ and his glory. So the things that we previously talked about up until this point go by the wayside and they are forgotten. Um, And here are some of the pitfalls that we can discuss. So the first thing that usually falls, I don't know why I chose two slides, but the first thing that usually falls is the loss of biblical fidelity. And what does that mean? So, they don't hold the word of God as true. They don't. I mean, maybe they do on their um, biblical or on their whatever statement. I forget what it's called. Skipping, escaping my mind, doctrinal statement. Yes, on a doctrinal statement. Maybe they say it's infallible in the word of God, but in their actions, they don't. Right, and that's usually the first thing that falls. Uh, truths that are theologically sound are now neglected. It's, and it could be either due to personal preference or desire not to offend anyone or desire to attract others. Um, and you are no longer getting the proclamation of the gospel, but you're getting the proclamation of yourself or a self-help message, right? Because those things make you feel good. I want to hear how great I am. I want to hear all the good things about me and, um, and people, people like that. Um, and so this isn't foreign to scripture, Right? We get it from Second Timothy 4, 3-4. For a time will come, will they will not endure sound doctrine. Is it not coming up? I'm sorry. You can skip on the slide if it's not coming up. I, the Wi-Fi is looking to be weird. <clears throat> for the time will come, will they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. So Paul is warning here that a time will come when people don't want the deep scriptural truths anymore. Right? They want um, they want these things that are made up, or they see on a talk show, and we are definitely in that time now. Um, you don't have to dig deep or look hard to find it. You can be scrolling on Facebook, on Instagram. Your relatives might pull it up, um, and you're not going to get the deep truths about. Christ and the gospel. Rather, you're just going to get vague statements about God in such a way that won't offend anybody, right? It's going to be like, you are great. It won't even say God half the time. just turn on the radio. It'll just be like, you are great. You're amazing. I love you. Um, Things like that. Uh, And not saying all that stuff is bad, um, like Christian radio, but we should be discerning and we, don't, we shouldn't consume everything that we see and hear on the internet, right? We should be like the Bereans and test all things um, and then guard against those things. And one way that we combat against this, um, one of many ways, is verse by verse and chapter by chapter preaching, right? Aaron can't simply just skip over difficult truths in the Bible, right? He has to go through, what does predestination mean? Because it's in Ephesians 1. He has to talk about that. If we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. He can't choose whatever he wants to speak on depending on the times or what's going on with the famous celebrities or the movies that are out. Churches are really big on doing summer movie series, so they'll craft whole entire services and series based off of movies. That's not the way we we do things. Um, We... Have to hit the difficult portions of the text head on and uh, as an act of worship, right? An act of service to Christ and to our hearers. Um, so, that's, but that's not saying we can't have topical sermons or things like that, but they must be exegetical and expositional, meaning they must derive their meaning from the text itself and not be taken out of context in scripture. So, uh, Titus 1 9. This is what we should do, right? Hold fast to the faithful words, which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and reprove those who contradict it. So that's what we should be doing. All right. Preferences. Um, so this is another way that things become man-centered is we have certain preferences in mind, right? Um, and these could be preferences, styles, or desires. All these things get placed in front of the proclamation of Christ. Um, like, here's an example for me. I'm really into technology and electronics, and so since we don't have like a 40-foot LED wall behind us, I'm I'm going to go to a different church because I prefer to have technology everywhere in my face. Um, or the seats are old. Um, I prefer to have theater seating, right? Let it recline back and the massage. Um, so I'm going to church that does, and many churches do. Um, those are kind of preferences, um, things that get in the way of, of Christ, right? Um, or this gray wall. You don't like the gray wall, so you're going to go somewhere else because the gray just makes your eyes hurt or something like that. Or you had a bad experience with gray shirt one time when you were bullied as a kid, so now that becomes your thing, right? Um, or another one that I like is Aaron always wears a suit. I don't wear a suit, so what's wrong with me, right? Nathan never wears a suit. He probably should. Um, those are like the preferences that can get in the way um, of, of Christ. Um, Colossians 3, 3 2 says, set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on earth these little preferences stop becoming side things and become the main thing and the driving force of our worship, right? So that's, that's one, that's preferences. Another thing we do that makes things man-centered is entertainment. Um, sermons, sermons have turned into motivational speeches or funny stories or just these hyper-sensational messages designed to just provoke some kind of emotional response from the people who are, are hearing it. Um, and so also services, right, that have become flashy and over-the-top, like, multimillion-dollar productions. Um, and it's all designed to create a crowd, and it's all designed to bring people in um, and never turn anybody away. Like, we don't want to turn anybody away either, but the message is in such a way that it's never, ever offensive. Um, and that shifts the, the focus of everything to the production and how... How good the music sounded, or how good the sound sounded, and it turns everything away from Christ and His glory. And it's not saying we don't desire to do those things, like, but those aren't the driving forces behind what we do here. We do those things because of what Christ has done. Um, we want to do things excellently and great, right? Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Admonishing or teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. All that we do here should be done in such a way that glorifies God. Yeah. And another thing, going to consumerism also. Um, This is another thing that has taken over the church and made things man centered. Um, Oftentimes we attend church in such a way that we look at it to say, what am I getting out of it? Um, what, what did, um, it becomes about me rather than about God. Like, what did God have to say? It's more like, what did I, what did I take from this message? Or not to say we can't say that, but um, it becomes one way and transactional when it's only about us and what we want to get out of it, Right. And then since you may walk away from here saying, I didn't get anything out of the sermon today. um, Since it didn't say anything about me necessarily, and only talked about Christ and about how the barista at Starbucks didn't make my drink correctly, right? It's not about Christ and what he has done. Scripture doesn't tell us to come to church so that we can just take and, and get, right? But rather it says we should come and partake and serve one another with gladness and thankfulness Uh, Psalm 102, serve Yahweh with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. And then 1 Peter 2, 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ or through Jesus Christ. So that sounds a lot different than what am I getting from this, right? We are actually, the position of our hearts is that when we come here, we are saying what or how can i worship god and hear from him so we are the ones to give to him ourselves we offer up ourselves as sacrifices to him so yeah so that today you can combat this by asking how was christ glorified in the worship gathering or how was the gospel presented was the sermon biblically sound what truths about god did i hear today um, what's even funny, I was thinking about the little kids thing we have in the back. And that's kind of what the kids are asked to do on those little questions. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. But there's different um, aspects that cause our kids to ask these questions too. So it's not just about themselves. And another big thing that we do to make things man-centered is pragmatism. It's a fancy word. Um, it's consumerism's close cousin. Um, So the the idea behind pragmatism is we do things in such a way as to get an end result, right? We're doing X, Y, and Z to um, get more people here. And our only goal is just to get people here. So we'll build these programs. Uh, We'll have a program for everything, right? Um, We'll have a program for people with three-legged dogs that meet every Tuesday or something like that just to get those people to stay here because we offer this thing to them, right? That's the whole goal behind it. But in actuality, that's not how we should do things. It's not necessarily saying too that we shouldn't shouldn't do things or have programs. Uh, We should have programs, but they're all designed around um, Christ and his glory. Um, They're not created just to attract and retain people. And so the church has fallen into a thing where it's just more of a quantity versus quality, right? And that's the name of the game. Um, and as the saying goes, I don't know if you've heard this before though, it's it's um, what you win them with, you win them to. And so as we're bringing people in through pragmatism we have to continue to maintain those same things otherwise people get bored and and we're like why aren't the lights on today or flashing or whatever like they want more and more and more and they want to they want to be entertained more and more um but that's not what we do we do everything in such a way to give glory to god and to help people worship christ uh, we don't seek immediate growth and satisfaction, right? But we look for the long-term, the long-term growth, long-term gain. That's why we have like LTD or something like that. It's a two-year thing. It's not a quick, here's three months and now you're an elder or things like that. Um, Luke 9, 25, for what is a man profited, if he gains the whole world and loses, his, or loses or forfeits himself? So we can give all these things to people, but what is the, what is the good of it? If they just are just dying and unrepentant in their sin. Uh, another thing quickly, I'm running out of time. Uh, celebrity culture. Um, when worship starts to become mansitter, we start idolizing certain leaders in the church or certain churches and the way they do things. And why don't we do things like they do things? Um, I'm going over there because they do it this way and things like that. Um, and we surround ourselves, much like what I discussed in the earlier part, is how we make. Uh, we make these pastors or figureheads who have huge influential ministries to be um, almost like the absolute truth and the way things should be done. And it's okay to enjoy those ministries and things like that, assuming, assuming they're biblical. But the problem arises when those people or those ministries become the sole reason for why we go to church or why we listen to a sermon or whatever. Like um, When that becomes the sole reason, that's when we start... Um, getting in trouble. And we see this from First Corinthians three, 7, or sorry, first Corinthians three, four through seven. For one says I am of Paul, another says I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? For when is a for what for then is sorry, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through him who believed. Even as the Lord gave to each one of you, I planted Apollos I planted Apollos watered but God was causing the growth. So even if these people have these large, influential ministries, it's not because of them, right? It's because of God and what, what he is doing and choosing to do because he's sovereign. Um, another way things become man-centered is emotion or feelings. Worship can become man-centered when we start to focus on emotions or like an ecstatic experience versus pursuing spiritual growth and change. Um, and this can, this can arise in a bunch of different ways. Um, it can even um, arise when our motivations aren't, aren't right or um, when we hear a song or something and we think, wow, that wasn't very, like that didn't make me feel very good. But that wasn't the point of the song. The song was, point, was to just point to Christ and his glory and then we respond to that Christ and, glo- and his glory. It's not to say that our emotions, our feelings are bad, but they need to be properly engaged, Right? they don't become the driving force behind whether church was good today or not. Um, Jerry Bridges says this, we must not allow our emotions to hold sway over our minds. Rather, we must seek the truth of God, uh, of God rule our minds. Our emotions must become subservient to the truth, meaning our emotions serve the truth um, so that the truth would inform our emotions. And the Psalms are great examples of this. Psalm 42 um, I'm not going to have to, I'm not have time to read the whole thing, but um, basically he's saying like, um, let me, let me go to a point here. Uh, wait for, uh, let's go down to, uh, I don't know if you can see this. Uh, wait for God, for I shall set praise him, for I shall still praise him for the salvation of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon. So what is he doing here? He's, he has an emotional response, right? You can barely see that. But, but what he is doing is reminding himself of what God has done in the past, right? And how he has brought him. Um, all the things that he, he traced his hand to the past. Um, Bob Coughlin says this. Some Christians repress their emotions as they sing. They fear feeling anything too strongly and think maturity means holding back. But the problem is emotionalism, not emotions. Emotionalism pursues feelings as an end to themselves, so right we were just talking about. It's wanting to feel something with no regard for how that feeling is produced or its ultimate purpose. Emotionalism can also uh, view heightened emotions as infallible sign that God is present. In contrast, emotions that sing—that singing is meant to evoke—are a response to who God is and what He has done. Right. And then moving ahead here, um, it's not just about just the devotion side of our lives, but it's about the doctrine and the devotion. Right, combined together, not just emotional devotion. Um, So then how do we as Christians cultivate this lifestyle of Christ-centered worship in our lives? So first and foremost, um, before we come here, we have to be doing what? We have to be, it has to change our hearts first, right? Um, Psalm 5, 3, O Yahweh, in the morning you will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. So it starts in our personal lives each day. If we aren't praying, if we aren't reading, if we aren't meditating on the word throughout the week, it's obvious as to why when we come here, we might not get anything out of it. Um, Or worship falls flat and we have nothing to offer God. Um, It's because it's not happening in our lives. Um, Not to say that each week will be perfect and we won't come here on Sunday struggling, but we will want, want to come here and worship him because of the truth that we have been storing up all week. And um, Charles Spurgeon says, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Um, and the point is that our devotion to Christ should start in his word and in our hearts each and every day. So another way we cultivate this kind of Christ-centered um, worship is in community. Um, Hebrews ten twenty four, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as it is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as as we just read uh, earlier previously, we must be in regular community with other believers, and that's that's why we have community groups and these all other various different ministries is to bring you together with others to center our lives around christ right and to encourage one another to place christ at the center and um, another way we can cultivate this is through sacrificial service um, and we we talked about this a little bit earlier also um, the highest form of worship as andrew murray says is the worship of unselfish christian service so because of what Christ has done for us, he has loved us first. now we go and we love others and we and we serve them with whatever gifts that we have, um, placing Christ at the forefront and not going not serving others to get things like some people will serve things and it's a temptation to get the to get praise of man or to whatever it is um, to to get something out of it, but we want to ask Christ and repent of that and tell him. Let make you be the center of all that we do and all of our service that we do. Um, another way we place Christ at the center um, and cultivate this is through ongoing sanctification. Um, we are being made more into the image of His Son. And Galatians five twenty two says, "But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control." Against such things. There is no law. So these things, these spiritual gifts, we should be pursuing and we should be seeing in our lives as we are being sanctified and we shouldn't look like what we used to look like, right? Uh, We should be being changed. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So this is what we should be learning how to do, right? When we come here, we should be learning how to sanctify and be be sanctified and be holy for God is holy. And it's a it's a process for sure. Um it it is definitely a process and we but we should be able to see the change of the word in our lives and what Christ has done in our lives, informing all of our actions. And um, another thing, the last final thing that I had here, what we do um, to cultivate uh, this Christ-centeredness is live with eternity in mind. We're not nearsighted. We don't just... um, we don't necessarily see one day at a time. We see the long picture and what Christ is doing and what he's going to do when he's going to come back. Um, Colossians 3, Colossians 3, one. excuse me. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. So, right, we set our mind on Not earthly things, because we know through other parts of Scripture that those things are just going to die and wither away, but the truth of God will remain forever, right? So we seek those things, and um, we fix our eyes on the future, or or fixing our eyes on the future helps us see the bigger picture of what Christ is doing in the world and in other believers' lives. Um, Sometimes we might get bogged down by the day-to-day of things, but um, when we look at others' lives and look at lives in the church, we see that God is moving, God is doing um, certain different things when we take our eyes off ourselves. Um, and so we, we also, then we with this, we eagerly await his return. We sing about this all the time, right? Uh, there will be no more tears, no more war, no more sadness, no more sorrows. And we will know, and, and we know one day, all of our strife in this world will be over. And that's, that gives us hope, right? The hope to live for tomorrow. Um, so all these things, to sum it all up, so what we learned here today is, one, how Christ is the object and motivation of our worship. Um, to, and then, two, understand the elements of what we do here and I hope you understand why we do certain things here at Redeemer. Um, and then we also learned how to engage in Christ-centered worship, how, what our part in, in the worship service is and what we do um, with our other believers also. And then before we, we learned about the pitfalls and how things can get skewed pretty quickly once we start um, making things about man and, and um, ourselves. And then lastly, we, we just learned how to cultivate a lifestyle of Christ-centered worship. So I pray that the study was helpful to you all and that you've um that I've communicated well and that you've all have learned something um, about it and if you have any questions, feel free to ask either Aaron or I afterward about why we do things the way we do, and um, we'll give you a christ centered answer <laughs> that's what you can you can be sure of that uh, let's pray God we thank you that um, you your word is the guide for all that we have in life and all that we, we do here, God. And we pray that you would guard our hearts and guard our church about falling into pragmatism or doing things to get results so or all the various different ways we tend to make things idols, Lord. We, we confess our sin and if we were ever doing anything, that was, that was for that reason, God, we ask that you would forgive us and you would set our hearts and our minds right and help us to follow you and, and love you for you, God, and what you have done and not for the things of this world, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.